Hello and welcome to the Cars edition of Slate Money Swag, the final episode of this mini-series about all of the collectible things that people may or may not be able to buy as an investment, even though they have absolutely no cash flows associated with them. This week, we are talking all about cars with Hannah Elliott of Bloomberg. Welcome. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Who are you and, and how did you wind up becoming a petrol head? Well, uh, I live in New York, in the East Village of New York, and I've worked for Bloomberg for six years now. And before that, I was at Forbes covering cars. You know, I always say I get to cover the fun things while most people at Bloomberg write about how to make money. I write about how to spend money. I feel like you're the only person in the East Village who owns a car. You know, I do own a car, but my car is in Los Angeles. <laughs> so I'm, I'm only half, half and half. And it is an old car. It's a 1988 560 SL Mercedes, black on black, that was given as a gift to me for my birthday very recently from my boyfriend, who is, ladies, get him to give you a car. It's great. So it's your, nice. your boyfriend is here next to Jessamine Molly in yes. the studio. Yes. He, uh, he is going to come up in this episode yes. because he owns more cars than you do. Oh, yes. We are going to talk about the cars that he owns. We're going to talk about the cars that sell for $20 million, the cars that sell for $5,000, what makes a car investable, how much money you need to spend in order to buy an investable car, why cars go up in value, whether cars go up in value, and all manner of other gnarly details about cars as an asset class coming up on Sleep Money Swag. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So cars. Cars. I hear that cars can sell for millions of dollars. Yes, that does um, happen. Which is kind of amazing because you can get a perfectly good car for, like, how much do you need to spend for a perfectly good car these days? It seems to me that a perfectly good car is getting cheaper and cheaper these days. Do you mean a, a modern car or a vintage car, like a, a car you would collect? Uh, no, I mean a like a, a, a like running a, a driving function, car. A, run, a running driving oh. safe car. You can buy one for two thousand dollars. For two thousand dollars, of course. Uh, so there up. is no real utility value to investment cars because the utility of a car you can buy for a couple thousand bucks. Of course, if you're getting from A to B, yes. I will say this: cars do drive differently. You know, this is, two different cars will both get you from A to B. Yeah. But it is also true that the one that costs $2,000 may not be as fun as the one that costs $50,000. And that is true. Okay. So, so, and that's why people spend $50,000 on a car sure. rather than $2,000 sure. on a car. Sure. But that because doesn't explain have... why people spend $5 million on a car that's rather right. than $50,000. That's right. So the utility thing, like, do I want to get this car rather than that car? Do I want this kind of driving? Do I want this kind of computer? Do I want this kind of handling or speed or whatever, mm -hmm. that all happens in the kind of sub-$100,000 range. That's right. And then cars as an investment is an entirely other thing. But presumably, all of the cars which people buy as an investment at some point in history were just utility. They were bought for their utility, and people said, oh, that's a good car, I want to buy it. And then somehow, over the decades, they rose in value. 
Uh, I would say yes with a qualifier because most of the cars that are truly investment grade cars, blue chip cars, were never just a car. And that indeed is why they're collectible. And that is why Uh, they're so expensive and special because they were never just a car. Even when they first were new and they came off the line, they were never just a car. They meant much more than that. So it's really obvious which cars are just cars and which cars are more than just a car. Yes, and it is true, and this is not kind to say, but not all cars are created equal. There are cars that are much more special, that are better than other cars. And we would never say that about people, but we can say that about cars, and that's true. And that's why, you know, certain cars are worth $10 million and certain cars are worth 50000 So tell me what it is. What is it about a car which makes it more than just a car? Is it a artificial supply constraint thing? Is it all about limited editions and that kind of thing? Or is it more about the design and and the features? That's a great question. There are several factors that go into making a car special. Number one probably is rarity. If you think of, say, the McLaren F1 supercar from 1994, that's a relatively modern car. But that car is worth $20 million. So for a car to be built in 94 and it's already worth $20 million is quite a big... How much did it cost when it was A couple million. So it was an expensive car when it was new, and it's crazily more expensive now. Crazily more. That car is rare. Only 106 were made, and only 64 of them were made for for the street, for production, for consumers. So it's very rare. When it was built, it was the fastest car in the world. So it has a record attached to it, which is important. The design was incredibly influential for the rest of McLaren's cars. I mean, yesterday I drove a McLaren that you could take some elements of this McLaren GT I drove yesterday and trace it all the way back to the F1. So that car was influential. It was rare. It had a, a very good claim to fame at the time as being the fastest car in the world. And it's it's beautiful, and it is amazing to drive to. So the first episode in this miniseries, we talked about art. And... If I was a sculptor doing something really beautiful and I put a sculpture out in an edition of 64, everyone would say, that edition is enormous. And then if I said, oh, and then it's another 40 like artist proofs as well, everyone mm-hmm. would go, that is huge. That's not rare at all. That's that's mm-hmm. like a commodity. And it's I can't imagine a work of art in an edition of 100 going for $20 million. And you're saying that in the car world, an edition of 100 is actually really rare and makes it super special. Yes, it's very rare. When you consider that in a year, McLaren will sell about 6,000 cars around the world. So if McLaren says, we're only going to make 106 of this car, that's rare. That is considered rare. Now, there are are several, you know, racing Ferrari. Racing Ferraris are the blue chip, you know, um, perennial best-selling collector car you could ever buy. They they sell for millions and millions of dollars. Some of those cars truly are, you know, one of one, one of three, one of ten. That's extremely rare. There was a Type 64 German-made Porsche-type car um, that was offered for sale earlier this summer. That was a, a one of three planned, two that were actually made, one existing. So The other you one see, crashed? Y- yeah, the other one was crashed, and then the parts were kind of jumbled up, and then they sort of reconfigured them into a replica using some of the original parts. So it, it, you know, it's a gray area. But three of those cars were planned, two were built, one exists. That is a supremely rare car. And how much was that worth? Well, that's a great question. That was a very controversial car. Some people called it the first Porsche ever because it was built and engineered by Ferdinand Porsche. But 
He built it before he started his company, about 10 years before he started it. And when at the time of, that he built it, he was building cars for everyone. Daimler, VW, he pulled in, you know, parts from all over. To answer your question, it was listed for $20 million. It didn't sell at but, all. But that's the same as like one of 100 McLaren F1s. What do you mean? When so you you're say saying that? the McLaren F1 is worth $20 million, mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. like super one-of-a-kind mm-hmm. Porsche from what, the 1930s? Yeah. Is also worth twenty million. Yeah. So you would think. I mean, I don't know. Me just not knowing anything. I would imagine that a super one of a kind Porsche from the nineteen thirties would be worth more than one of a hundred identical McLaren F ones from nineteen ninety four. But yeah. I would be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you you can't. It's not an apples to apples comparison. You know the fact that Porsche in general has yet to reach the heights of auction sale prices that some other brands. So that Type 64 was kind of an aberration. Most Porsches are not selling for that high, whereas, you know, P1 McLarens also sell for multi-millions of dollars. So there's a little bit of a precedent for McLaren to be pushing higher at the very high end of the auction market rather than a Porsche, which some people said that's not even actually a Porsche. It's a it's a predecessor to the Porsche. So... I guess what I'm taking from this is that on some level, Porsches are kind of on the borderline in terms of whether they're even investment-grade vehicles or not. Whereas if you buy a McLaren, you know that you're buying something which has the potential for price appreciation. Uh, I don't disagree with you, but certainly I would say Porsches are investment-grade vehicles. They are. Yes. Not in the level of millions of dollars. But for instance, if you look at the the 911 Turbos from the 1970s, you know, Magnus sitting in in that room right there was buying them for $20,000, you know, less than 10 years ago. Now those same cars are selling for over $200,000. So we're not talking about million-dollar sales of you know, 1975 911 turbos. But in terms of uh, appreciation percentages, that's a huge jump in um, a short time, a short amount of time. Who who was it, the guy who founded Instagram, who quit Facebook and said that he was going to go tend to his collection of air-cooled Porsches? That's investment grade, right? If he yes. says air-cooled. I'm not sure. entirely sure what an sure. air-cooled Porsche is, but it, <laughs> it sounds very clever. Well, there's air-cooled and water-cooled. And this is a very... Uh, polarizing conversation within the Porsche world. The early cars were all air-cooled. It meant the engine pulled an air over it to keep the car cool and running. Those are early cars. The later cars use oil to, you know, and speaking of very general terms, to keep the engine cool. Those are modern cars. The purists, of course, would say, ah, the air-cooled Porsche, that is really the perfect thing. You know, it's a pick-your-poison type of thing. Purists, air-cooled, yeah. That's old school. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So if I was buying, I mean, Magnus is is sitting right here, but you can speak for him since he's not in the studio. When he was buying Porsches 10 years ago, was that as an investment? Was that like 
explicitly on the ex- expectation and understanding that those cars would hold their value and quite possibly increase in value? No, not at all. I can say the true enthusiast never buys a car because he thinks it will appreciate in value. He buys it because he believes it will bring him joy. And he buys it because that was the car that he had on the poster in his bedroom when he was growing up and that he loved or that he remembers driving with his dad or his uncle and it makes him feel good. The true enthusiast would never at least admit to buying a car because he thinks it will be a good return on investment. On the other hand, if you are spending more than $100,000 on a car, you want to feel like on some level, you're not just throwing that away and that the car will be able to at least retain some of that value. Absolutely. I mean, it's certainly, of course. And and that is where all of the due diligence comes in. You know, these people who are buying investment grade cars, collectible cars, classic cars, do so much due diligence to really know and understand you know, that this car is going to hold its value and even gain a little bit, of course. These are assets. Okay, so yeah. this is the meat of the conversation. Yeah. What what kind of due diligence does that involve? And we, we had a little email exchange before you came into the studio today. I was like, there's no car in the world that gets better with age. It's not like <laughs> wine. Um, cars, <laughs> Some people may disagree with you on that. Cars, yeah. like, they fall apart and things go wrong with them. Um what is the mechanism by which a car retains its value or increases in value over time? That's a great question. Yes, things fall apart. That's true. But also cars are made to be driven. And you can leave your car sitting in a garage and it will also deteriorate. You know, cars need to be driven over time in order to maintain their their running capability. To your point, it depends on the car. Not every car is collectible. You know, a a Prius is probably not a collectible car. Even some modern Ferraris are probably not collectible cars. But there are some cars that are collectible. And the things that would make them collectible, um, like we've touched on before, are rarity, provenance. Do they come from a very old established brand that is known for having high sales at the auctions? You know, these are the thoroughbreds of the car world. Ferrari, Aston Martin, Porsche, Mercedes, Jaguar. You know, if you're buying into one of these philosophies of car making, that helps, of course, design, racing history. You know, if a car has been raced and done well or driven by prominent famous drivers, that can certainly help it gain in value and become desirable. But then you also have random weird things that for whatever reason will gain the imagination of a group of really cult-like collectors and enthusiasts, and that will really increase in value just because people are buying them. I mean, it's like any other thing that you would sell in the market. Demand makes prices go high. So uh, a car like the Toyota Supra, which was uh, not a special car at all. I mean, it's the small car from the 90s has a cult following. That car might be collectible. It's not going to be an expensive car, but it will certainly hold its value over the years because there is a devoted following of enthusiasts who love how it looks, love how it drives, loves what it meant to the Toyota company. And that sort of passion for a particular model is valid and will absolutely make that particular model of car valuable. So how much would it cost me to buy a Toyota Supra today? Well, if you buy one from the 90s, you can get one for like $5,000. So a collectible investment-grade car can be as cheap as $5,000. Oh, yes, certainly. And conversely, I could 
probably spend $150,000 on a new Mercedes, which wouldn't be collectible or investment grade at all. That's right. So it's not a question of price. It's no. not like it's not like when we were having our conversation about art that like art starts becoming investment grade at half a million dollars. No. You you can't judge on price. You have to judge on I guess the depth of enthusiasm in the collector community. Yes, and and I think it is fair to say too that Instagram and a website called Bring a Trailer have both really contributed to these little pockets of crazy enthusiasts for very obscure random models of cars. I mean, there's this type of racing class called the Group B Racing Series, which was in the 1980s, and it was basically no holds barred. The automakers just had to make 200 of any odd car they could. They put them in this world racing series, off-road rally style. There has been an obsession with Group B cars from the 1980s, so that would be like a Lancia Delta, that if you saw that car on the street, you would think it's kind of ugly. It's like square and it looks like something from an 80s cartoon or like a sneaker or something. But that car is worth millions of dollars. Millions? Yes. Wow. Yes. And a lot of that is because, yes, it does have the racing history. Yes, it is rare. So that is true. But it's not a good looking car. And it's made by Lancia, which that is an old brand, but it's not Ferrari. But There is a very devoted group of people who are obsessed with those cars. They grew up watching the races. They're like kids from the 80s. You know, now they're they're older. They have the means to afford them. That market is making those cars really appreciate in value. So I I always go back to saying buy what you like and what you really care about because I guarantee you you won't be the only one. You know, there are going to be other people who like what you like too. And that's a great thing and that also does create a little bit of a market. Has the broad market, I mean, I, I, I'm sure there isn't an index for collectible cars, but is it fair to say that the broad collectible car market has been going up over time, that cars are becoming more expensive over the past couple decades? It's very dependent on the brand. Ferrari, like I said, is sort of a perennial Ferrari seems to be like the Chateau Lafitte of cars. Yes, you could say that. It's the racing Ferraris from the 1950s. You could even go into the 70s, the 250 California Spiders. Those Ferraris are always at the top. In fact, I was just looking at auction results from the Monterey auctions in August. At the RM auction alone, five of the top 10 cars that sold in terms of value were Ferraris. You know, the top four cars that sold at Gooding were Ferraris. So they, they have always dominated. And that's been the same for years. And so, oh, or maybe, maybe Chateau Lafitte, maybe yeah. Andy Warhol. But sure. like the interesting thing about Lafitte and Warhol is they both had this dominance for a mm-hmm. long time. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, mm-hmm. they both stopped going up and started going down. I mean, that's yeah. everything can go in both directions, right? What would be the mechanism that caused the Ferrari bubble to burst? Mm. Good question. That's what I ask everybody I talk to. Some of it is economics-based and market uncertainty. For instance, if people are feeling uneasy about international markets in general and they want to sink their cash into something more solid, a car is probably a good option. If they're feeling better about speculating with um, non-tangible things, then that could make the value or the price of the top sellers in the auctions go down a little bit just because people are putting their money elsewhere. I tend to think money never disappears. It just changes. So maybe, say Ferrari is at the top and has been at the top for a long time, 
you'll see maybe a Jaguar E-type, you know, bust through the bubble every now and then. You'll see some Aston Martins get up there, get up in the top five sellers. Um, I think there was a Ford GT that got up there, you know, from the 1960s. We've all just seen the movie Ford versus Ferrari. That's a very collectible car, an American car. Honestly, it would take a lot to take Ferrari off of that throne in a very real significant way. And I don't know what that would be. It's been like that for so long. Certainly, you know, you've seen Porsches get up close to it, but I don't, I don't know what it would take. I really don't know. All of the most expensive cars, it's fair to say, are racing cars, sports mm-hmm. cars. They, mm-hmm. They're designed to go super fast. Yes. This might be a dumb question, but is, I mean, is that just obvious or is there like a reason for that? Those cars, by their very nature, check a lot of the other boxes that we've already talked about. So the very fastest racing cars are, you know, peripherally rare. They've got racing history and heritage. They look interesting. They're from well-known collectible brands. They are, you know... And they're made in small quantities. They're made, Yeah, exactly. So they kind of just embody naturally every other aspect of what could make a car collectible. You know, they're already going to be famous cars that you hear about. I mean, any car that breaks a world record or, or has won Le Mans or Daytona or Sebring, probably people will have heard about anyway. So it's going to be a famous car. So you're really creating, when you make an exceptional race car, you're already creating the conditions that would otherwise make it collectible too. They, they kind of happen naturally. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Are the original Tesla Roadsters collectible? Have those gone That's up in value as question. well? a question. I think they're basically hovering. But we'll see. I think it's too early to say. Usually, you know, cars go in sort of a 30-year cycle. 30 to 40 years. So those 1970s Porsche turbos, you know, around their 40-year anniversary, that's when they really took off again. They kind of go in a 30 to 40-year cycle. And that's because I think the kids that grew up with the cars on the posters in the room are finally old enough to afford them. So we don't really have enough time yet to see what the early Tesla cars, the little roadsters, will do. 
I know people are hoarding them because they think they will be collectible, which is a very interesting thing. And they also were built on Lotus chassis. Now, Lotus is an old brand, very well known, has a lot of collectible cars. That's going for it. You know, it's too early to see. Some of the factors are there. It could happen. (laughs) (laughs) And then when I think of, you know, special cars obviously you would include the the zoom zoom low slung sports cars but i also think of like the grand Mm. rolls royces and and that kind of thing i I feel like those are maybe like more out of favor and less collectible these days those like the the port wine of the car world yeah it's really interesting i mean when you see if you're talking about rolls royces from the 30s or like model t's or packards or Duesenbergs. They are still selling for multi-million dollars, but it's interesting. The people you see driving them and buying them are very elderly people. (laughs) Um, It's almost like the generation that has been collecting them is dwindling, and it is a topic of conversation. What will happen to those cars once their owners and their enthusiasts pass on you know pebble beach has taught the the organization that runs the pebble beach concour which is the site of probably the most important auctions of the year i've spoken with them and they have talked about what will happen when the people who love those very much older cars pass away because young kids you know and by young i mean like 40 and you know those are the people who can afford to buy this stuff they're not interested in those and they're barely even interested in muscle cars from the 50s they're going to be interested in the cars from the 70s and 80s you know the Porsches. So it's certainly, you know, the Packards, the Delahays, the old Rolls Royces, the old Bentleys, the glorious ones we see in the crown, you know, being used. Yeah, they're they're collectible, but I do not know what's going to happen when the people who own and love them pass away. It'll be very interesting to see. And really, the only thing that makes a car valuable is that someone will want to pay for it and own it, right? I mean, just like a piece of art. The other thing, too, is I know you can get, you know, I've seen in my own wanderings, you can buy a very inexpensive Rolls Royce from the 80s, from the 90s, from the 70s. Same with Bentleys. Um, They're going to be very expensive to repair and maintain. (laughs) But But, but that's true of the sports cars too, right? Completely. You know, so um, it's just, there's there's really no hard and fast rule. I mean, if you want a Rolls Royce from the 80s, you could get one for like $10,000. It's going to take a lot to make it into running (laughs) grade and maintain. But it's probably more comfortable to drive around the streets than a Ferrari. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And probably a lot more reliable too. I mean, (laughs) we all love Italians, but some, you know, they're engineering uh, it, it's eccentric, <laughs> for lack of a better word. You know, it's a relationship, possibly a dysfunctional relationship. But, you know, um, you go with it because the car looks amazing and it has personality and it's got this great heritage and you look cool and feel cool driving it. But yeah, it's, you know, part of the relationship with older cars is that you know they're going to break down and that's that's life. So tell me about the buyers, the collectors. I mean, obviously the first qualification you need to spend millions of dollars on a car is that you have millions of dollars to spend on a car and that cuts the potential buying universe down enormously. But how are they the same and how are they different from the people spending millions of dollars on art or on wine or on watches or on Bitcoin or the other things that we've been talking about on this? You know, I have this theory. They're exactly the same. That's all pretty much the same? Yes. And I certainly, when I cover the auctions and when I write about collectible cars, 
I write as if I'm writing to the same person who might be buying a bottle of wine or an old watch or a piece of art. I truly believe it's the collector mind. It's not necessarily the car mind because cars are great. You know, they're so relatable. I love them because you can talk to anyone. Anyone has a car story. Even if they don't have a driver's license, they probably have a car story. I think it's the collector mind that is the person who is buying the cars. Of course, they love the cars. But it's the same mentality of somebody who is buying art, buying wine. They obsess about engine variants, you know, numbers matching. How authentic is, you know, that door handle? Was that the original door handle? They obsess about minute detail, like somebody who is evaluating a painting might obsess about you know, obviously if it's real, but also the story of where the painting came from, who owned it before them, what other people who I know might have one, you know, cars are status symbols, of course, just like a piece of art or a watch. They're a subtle way of saying, I'm very smart. I have a lot of money. I'm a discerning person of good taste, but I don't have to say any of that because you can look at my car and know it immediately. What's the most like gauche and bad taste expensive (laughs) car out there? (laughs) <laughs> well, of course, it depends on who you ask. I'm asking you. Yeah, I think um, for my own taste, <laughs> I try to stay very neutral on things. <laughs> you know, cars that tend to have massive spoilers on the back, you know, these huge wings that are just lifted up, you know, two feet off the back of the car and, you know, 22-inch rims on the wheels that are, you know, in... Um, very loud colors like purple or chrome with racing stripes down the side that make oh, a lot of noise. Stripes. I do, but there's a <laughs> there's a way to do them the right way. You know, there are some people who really love that. That is not my taste. And the worst thing I think is, regardless, you know, cars are great because you can make it reflect your personality. And that's, again, why people love collecting them. They feel the car reflects something that they feel about themselves. But it's also great when you drive responsibly. So when you're talking about gauche or very outre cars, the worst thing is is the drivers themselves. Because when the car, that particular car is, say, really loud through a neighborhood, and the driver's only going like 20 miles an hour, but the car's just pop, 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 roaring through a neighborhood, that's when you really get your neighbors kind of hating you, you know. If you really want some crazy looking cars, I'd say go look at Koenigsegg, go look at Pagani, Go look at even Bugatti's got some interesting, crazy cars out. These are modern cars, but they're very low batch vehicles that are really kind of outrageous looking. That They're polarizing. A lot of people love them. A lot of people hate them. So there are art investment funds. There are wine investment funds. We know that even individual investors put a bunch of money into gold often. Is there a professionalized car investment community at all or does that not yet exist you think it might ever exist there i did do one story on a company called rally road which is a group of people who have purchased collectible and classic cars and are selling shares of the car like you would sell the share of and we're we're seeing this a lot in the art world and it seems like an incredibly bad idea yeah um anyone who has the voice of reason has told me that (laughs) Um, but if you talk to these guys, it's it's Rally Road. They're actually based here in New York and Soho. They're very optimistic about it. You know, they say millennials love cars. It's just that they can't afford them. 
So, you know, they just want to be around them. And so they will be willing to buy a share of a car just to say they own part of it. I'm a little bit skeptical of that. So I, I don't know if that answers your question. Really, there are a few. They're not extremely popular. So if it's the elderly people who are buying the Rolls Royces <laughs> and then it's the, you know, the the tech bros who are buying the McLarens. And in general, if it's if what we're talking about here is the syndrome of people buying the cars whose posters they had on their wall when they were 17, I'm just going to come out and say that today's 17-year-olds don't have posters on their walls of cars. Yeah. Like cars are not, you know, sex objects in the way that they used to be in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Does that mean that at some point when today's 17-year-olds become tech billionaires, this whole asset class is going to basically wither and die? No, because I do agree that today's teenagers don't have cars on posters on their wall. However, they do have cars on their Instagram feeds, and they do have cars on their TikTok feeds and on their YouTube channels. And it's a different way of imbibing car culture and articulating car culture and obsessing about car culture. But they still like it. I mean, if you follow Kendall Jenner or um, the Kardashian family, they love cars. Get, their boyfriends are buying them, you know, Ferraris for presents and Bugattis for presents. Those are young people, you know, early 20s, basically teenagers who are getting very excited about their car. You don't see it in posters on their wall, but you'll see it on their Instagram, on their TikTok feed. So I would argue the way to consume cars is different. But the appreciation for beautiful things that go fast, and that might mean either personal expression or freedom, that's a very innate human emotion. And I don't see that ever changing. So if I want to make a long-term bet on, on a car right now, I should, I should go along like Cardi B's Lambos, basically? <laughs> sure. I mean, I love Lamborghinis. Like, I, yeah. I really what I would say is buy what you like. You will never be disappointed if you buy what you like. You know, and trust your instincts. So many people I think are really concerned about, oh, I'm not sure. I kind of like this, but I don't know if it's good or I don't know if it's cool. You know what? If you like it, it's good. It's cool. You'll never be disappointed if you buy what you really like and what you really want. And if it gains a little bit of value over the years too, even better. Amazing. Hannah Elliott from Bloomberg, thank you very much for coming in and joining us. Thanks for having me. It was so great. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.